Thanks so much for tuning in to A Greater Story with Sam Collier. My name's Sam Collier, and I am here right now um, in an extremely special moment. I am here with uh, one of the greatest leaders of the Christian faith in our world today. Uh, in some circles, he is hailed as the greatest communicator that's living right now in the church. Not all, but most. Um, he has been a friend, a mentor from afar, um, a game changer for me and my family as we have been able to be a part of his incredible ministry. Um, it's changed our lives. He's got 40,000 members in his church, six campuses here in the greater Atlanta area, over 70 partner churches around the world. I think he sold over a million books in his lifetime and more are coming out. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Andy Stanley. How are you? I was wondering if somebody else was about to join us on the set. I was looking around. I thought I, was, I, thought I was your only guest, but wow. wow. It's you. Well, listen, we're here to talk about this incredible new book, Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed Into the World. Before we jump into the interview, we always kick off the show with a song. You want me to sing? No, no, don't. Well, can you sing? <laughs> now, I heard you used to be in a rock band. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Was, was it like was. Christian rock? No. Okay. It was like mainstream rock. Wow. Yeah, we, we all start there, right? Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as Christian rock. So it was just, uh, yeah. yeah. So. so, what's one of your favorite worship songs right now? Oh, uh, worship songs. Um, Gosh, I, I don't really have a favorite worship song. I have some favorite songs, <laughs> okay. but not a favorite worship song. Give me one of your favorite songs. Man. One of my favorite songs, um, I like. I know this is going to sound strange, I love Brian Adams' song, Summer of 69. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I don't know why. That's just one of my favorite yeah. songs. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I'll throw a snippet of that, and we'll be back. I think it was six years ago, maybe maybe seven when I stepped into Buckhead Church, it was at the, 6, at the 6 p.m. service, and a friend of mine said to me, man, you need to see some churches doing some innovative things in ministry. And uh, you know me, I grew up in all black environment, black gospel, Pentecostal. And so I was looking for different ways to do ministry. And so as I was here in the 6 p.m. service, I, uh, I was blown away. Um, there were lights. I was like, man, it's like a Janet Jackson concert. And the <laughs> now you're showing your age. <laughs> <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And I was so overwhelmed, I um, went to a random volunteer and I said, how do you do this? What is this? How do you do this? And he said, I'm just a volunteer. I, he sent me to the sound booth and the sound guy sent me to Chris Green, which you know. Yep. Um, years later, um, I'm, I'm still here. And I've said this to you privately, but I gotta say it on the air because I know people are watching um, and it's gonna make you uncomfortable, but I'm gonna say it. Um, you allowing for me and my wife to step on the North Point stage, it changed, it changed our lives forever. Um, it transformed us. It allowed us to see some things that I don't think we would have seen had, I mean, just from afar. And I mean, you just, you weren't in all the meetings, but I think you're like, so it's okay if he's here. And um, it, <laughs> I, looked, I looked forward to you being there. It wasn't a, wow. there was no concession on our part. So, I mean, you, I mean, your audience should know you've made an extraordinary investment, not just wow. an investment, but contribution mm -hmm. uh, to what we're doing, both of you. So wow. 
It goes both ways. I mean, it was like getting a Harvard degree, I feel like, to be able to stand on that stage. And I just, th- this show exists because you let me stand on that stage. This show. Um, well, it better be good then. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, you know, Sam, nobody takes credit for your extraordinary accomplishments. And, I, and I'm sure your audience has heard enough of your story to know mm-hmm. the fact that you're doing what you're doing is, is amazing. And it's a reflection of your hard work the grace of God, and, um, you know, just knowing some great people and leveraging those relationships. So thanks for, you know, thanks for the shout out. But those of us who know, you know, um, you're you're on an extraordinary trajectory in your own right. And it's going to be fun to see Mm. where this continues to go. So I'm honored to be here. Andy, don't make me cry on the show. It's that time. Um, It's called A Greater Story. The idea is that when your story connects to God's story, it leads to a greater story. So we try to have people on the show that are living in their greater story, and obviously that's you. We talked about your accomplishments before, um, but we know it didn't start where you are now. I mean, your name is in so many circles. There's almost not a church you can go in in America where people don't know who Andy Stanley is. Obviously, your father, Charles Stanley. That helped. Right? (laughs) I think it helped just just a little bit. A lot, a lot of bit, yeah. Take us from little Andy and like tell us a little bit of the story of how you got from there to irresistible. Well, my story is unremarkable um, <laughs> in, in, in a good way. You know, I mean, there are people who have extraordinary stories. You have an extraordinary, but when I say extraordinary, every story is extraordinary, but mm-hmm. you have a very interesting story. I have a very not interesting <laughs> story. I, I really don't. And my story is simple. I'm a pastor's kid who has always loved the local church, Mm. has always been a part of the local church. Mm -hmm. I never um, had any big rebellious moment where I uh, questioned my parents' authority or God's authority. Mm. And part of that was the way my parents handled being pastors and a pastor's wife and raising preacher's kids. They gave us a lot of room for error. They didn't have extraordinary expectations on us. And so they just didn't give us anything to rebel against. So... Mm. Um, and very early on, I saw examples of people who stepped outside of faith or who, who were never introduced to faith, who uh, made you know, life decisions that they would later you know, regret, and God uses all of that. And um, I just, I think I had a healthy fear of sin and a healthy reverence for God as a mm. heavenly father. Mm. And I just love the local church. So when I was in college, um, now, several of my friends had surrendered to, or felt called to ministry, yeah. and they'd go down after the service, and my dad would put his arm around him and say, this is so-and-so, yeah. called to ministry. And so um, one day we were driving, and I said, Dad, um, do you have to be called into ministry? Can, can you just volunteer? Right. I mean, really, because I love the church. I love volunteering in the church. My friends were, you know, I was very church-centric. I went to public school my whole life, public yeah. Um, elementary, high school, public college, Georgia State University. So I wasn't, wow. I didn't live in some sort of religious bubble at all. I played yeah. in dance bands. I, I you know, mauled my friend. Yeah, that's what they were called back then. <laughs> okay. I, but the point, yeah, and, um, and most of my school friends, you know, drank themselves to death and <laughs> smoked themselves to death. And, right. you know, I was around weed all the time. <laughs> And and this is this isn't going anywhere, is it? No, well, yeah, okay. it's just between me and you. Yes, yeah, right. I, I just want to make sure. <laughs> and you know what? As as I just remember, I and this sounds judgmental, but I I, yeah. I wasn't judgmental. These were my friends. I just yeah. kept thinking, this isn't going. You this right. isn't going to take you anywhere. <laughs> right. Somehow, I just had the presence of mind to be in those environments. So I was, I was not sheltered. In fact, I was so not sheltered. Yeah. I was in a band one time. The guys looked so bad. Yeah. 
and I owned the PA system. And the rule was we could pull up in the driveway with the van, yeah. and they were not allowed to get out of the van yeah. because if my parents saw them, I, you know, I wouldn't be in the band anymore. So that was, that was my environment uh, through high school, and and then in, you know college surrendered to ministry. So, um, you know, I just I, I just really genuinely believe you've heard me say this a thousand times yeah. that following Jesus mm. will make your life better and will make you better at life. Yeah. And I don't believe that because of a negative story. I believe that because of a positive story. Mm. And again, as a pastor, you hear everybody's story. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so I went, uh, I went to Georgia State University, majored in journalism, yeah. very secular oh. in, environment. Again, exposed to, you know, people talk about how journalism is liberal or journalists are liberal. My take on that is that journalism attracts liberal people. It's mm. not that, you know, the journalists are liberal, it, that that industry it kind of, them. well, it, it attracts people who question things. Mm. And it attracts people who, um, you know, question the norms, which is good. We need that in, in culture to keep us, you know, between the rails. So that's right. journalism major, then went to um, Dallas Theological Seminary, Shout out. wanted to go to Baylor University and get my PhD so I could be Dr. Stanley. Yeah. I didn't get accepted in the program <laughs> and didn't have anything to do. Came back to Atlanta to work for my dad for this, just the summer till I could, you know, figure out what I was going to do. Yeah. Worked for him for ten years. Left there, started North Point. Met you. And my life's never been the same. <laughs> Pretty much, that's my story. Throughout my life, um, in terms of ministry, I have had a heart for people who were um, who either didn't believe in God or, you know, sometimes people talk about being far from God. I'm not sure what that means, but. You know, some people use right. that terminology. Right. Or people who had left faith or left the church. Because from my perspective, I'm thinking, why would you leave this? I right. mean, th- this, this makes life richer. It yeah. makes life better. Yeah. It makes relationships better. It makes you more generous. I mean, what is not to love about Christianity? Well, yeah. that's because the version of Christianity yeah. um, that I was raised in and that I think in some ways is reflected in the New Testament is yeah. attractive. But as you know, there are many versions of Christianity. Yes, so the reason I ultimately wrote this book yep. is I want to call a generation back to not the version of Christianity I was raised on, but back to the original version that was so powerful that it changed the world. And my concern is people who've walked away from faith, I think in many cases have walked away from a version of faith that isn't the version that we were first introduced to. So that's mm. kind of... You know, so this is, really is the culmination of my whole life and my whole um, perspective on ministry for many, many years. And, and you've mm. seen that mm-hmm. close up. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take a deep dive into this in one second. Um, but the, the connect, there's a connection here because, and I, I know people watching want to know this, North Point and the influence of North Point is all around the world. Um, you've built a church kind of on these principles in a sense. Did you ever think it would be this big? No, uh, and th- and that's a good question because, and I'm, I'm glad you asked this. People say, Andy, did you have a vision? I'm like, no, we passed my vision about 18 years ago. <laughs> Seriously, I, I don't, I mean, I love leadership and teaching leadership and talking about vision, but um, I, I just wanted to create a church that unchurched people would love to attend mm. and gather around me Christians who were concerned about people who weren't um, people of faith and who had walked away from church. So I envisioned I would create a church and, you know, we would attract some people. And I, I thought it would be big. And I thought it would be big because the church I left was big. And that was that was how I thought about church. Church should mm. grow. 
but I had no idea it would be this. And when we started, there wasn't even the technology to allow this. So I take no credit for having some grand vision or some 20-year plan yeah. uh, that would get us to this place. I, I feel in many ways like I'm the hood ornament, and there's an engine with lots and lots of incredible, incredible people that have pushed this thing forward, and I get a lot of credit for work I didn't do and a lot of credit for things that other people should get credit for, and I try to be very quick to pass that along because, you know, in any strong or mature organization, there are a lot of people doing a lot of extraordinary things, mm -hmm. and that has been the thrill of my life to be able to work with some of those people the entire time for all 23 years wow. to have some of the same folks on our leadership teams. And yeah. you've met most of those, all of those folks. I know, and they're incredible. Some people have gone on to start organizations, yeah. passion, yeah. and orange, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Irresistible. Um, there's a trend that's, uh, that uh, has been communicated now that every year the church goes down in giving in America. Giving has just continued to go down. Um, to the point to where people were trying to figure out, are we going to have to create for-profit churches one day? Mm -hmm. You know, models that can kind of sustain because giving, and especially with the turn of millennials, um, so many millennials have left the church mm -hmm. and are leaving in droves because they've got questions. Um, they don't really get the idea of giving to a church. They'll give to a cause so right. that, you know, be rich will explode, yep. right? But in terms of the tithing, the offering, whatever you call it, mm -hmm. they don't really get it. They're kind of turned off from church. That's what this book is kind of about and, and more. Um, what can we do to get them back? Uh, millennials specifically or just people in general? Yeah, both, both. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, my, there, you know, there's so much research that has gone into who's leaving, why they're leaving, will they come back, um, you know, there, there, there's all that stuff. And yeah. I've read as many books and articles as I can because I want to understand this, and a lot yeah. of that, um, you know, re resulted in this book. Um, I think there are several avenues, or several ways to approach people who are leaving the church. Hmm. And what I've tried to do is just stay in one lane. Okay. And the lane that I wrote this book toward is to remove one excuse. And I wanted to remove the excuse of the Bible. Hmm. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is this, that I am so tired of reading articles and blogs and listening to rants of you know folks in their 20s and 30s who've decided to abandon faith because of something in or about the Bible. Wow. I want all those people back. Because mm. I'm absolutely convinced that if someone walked away from faith because of something in the Bible or about the Bible, they left unnecessarily. Mm. And um, I have a very high view of Scripture. You've heard me preach yeah, yeah. dozens and dozens and dozens of Incredible. sermons. Sometimes I'm criticized for not believing the Bible, which... Sure, which I want to talk about yeah, in a second. Yeah, yeah. well, good, that, because that's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, um, <laughs> it but it's ridiculous. because of the way I talk about the Bible. Yeah. And the, way, the reason I talk about the Bible the way I do is because I'm trying to reach across this, you know, this chasm between those of us who've embraced faith and are part of the church and those that grew up in church and walked away because in college or graduate school, somebody handed them an article or some professor caused them to have doubts about the Bible. What Irresistible is about is simply this, that the foundation of the Christian faith is not, and this is where I get in trouble, is not the Bible. Mm -hmm. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event, the resurrection. Mm -hmm. There's an event that created a movement that created the Bible. There was an event, the resurrection, that yep. created a movement, the church, that yep. created the Bible. But most of us, and most of this for generations, we've been raised, to, we've been taught, mm -hmm. or it's been assumed, mm -hmm. that, um, that the foundation of our faith is a book. 
But the Bible wasn't assembled until about 350 years after the resurrection. So right. you have to ask the question, <laughs> what were all those tens of thousands of Christians yeah. who literally turned the world upside down? How did they I do that know. without a Bible? In fact, most of them couldn't read. They had no access mm. um, to literature. So an irresistible, I'm just making the case, this is not new, I didn't make any of this up. Mm -hmm. I'm just asking a generation to reconsider Christianity based on the event of the resurrection and then where they go from there, I'm not all that concerned. I just want them back mm -hmm. because I think so many left unnecessarily. So that's, that's what the book is about. And I'll tell you who loves this book. Mm -hmm. Parents and grandparents of kids and grandkids who've walked away from faith. Wow. It's given them talking points. They feel like they have a new on-ramp to have a conversation with their kids and grandkids who are questioning faith. And I, I love the fact that I've been able to create a tool for this generation, for that generation. Well, it's interesting because I think we all know the problem exists. Um, Every pastor listening or watching <laughs> knows this problem exists, and so many yeah. parents know this yeah. problem exists. This isn't a category. These are their children and their grandchildren or great-grandchildren. And in some cases, it's like we've all had that confusing moment where it's like, oh, this happened in the Old Testament. How does this make sense now? Mm -hmm. And we just kind of push it. Well, I ain't going to talk about that. Exactly. I'm not going to look over there. Don't look over there. Yeah. Exactly. So I think what people love about you is when, when I do my due diligence and my research and people all around the country and at conferences, they go, man, I just love Andy Stanley, so on and so forth. And they vote you like the best speaker at this conference and they come back. And the, what they love about you is that, and I'm going to say this plainly, most of the time, if not all the time, when you break something down, you're right, in my opinion. And this is what, not just me, this is what most people say. It's why you've been hailed as one of the greatest. And though, but yet those same people who have said those things, when you come out with this, I'm going, you... <laughs> They've changed their mind. <laughs> it's like, wait, he's been right about this, yeah. and he's been right about this, and he's been right about this, and now all of a sudden you're jumping ship before you've even considered that maybe there's something you're missing mm -hmm. around it. What are your critics missing? Well, my, the, my primary critics of my preaching in the last five years and of this book are primarily academics. They're seminary professors and one seminary president in particular. Yeah. Um, all Southern Baptist. <laughs> yeah. And they stir up their, 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 their group. Um, and as you know, we, uh, I, pre I do sermon series. Yeah. Everything's free. Everything's on the Internet. Everything's live. And so from time to time, they'll dive in and take a phrase or take a message, mm -hmm. pull it out of context, yeah. broadcast it on the Internet, and yeah. it, it, it feeds a narrative that is a completely false narrative. Yeah. And this is how the cycle goes. So they, <laughs> they broadcast something out of context, yeah. and then a reputable magazine like Outreach Magazine, Relevant Magazine, Christianity mm -hmm. Today will say, Andy, what's all this stuff? Can we interview you? I'm like, I would love for you to interview me. Then I interview, they interview me, I answer all the questions, and then it dies down. It's like, oh. Then a year later, Andy said, then Relevant <laughs> Magazine. And, and, and I am so grateful for these um, magazines right, who will allow me to say, you know what? I want to be clear. My goal isn't to be unclear. And as you know, because you're here, mm -hmm. the folks in our churches, they're always like, what? 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 Yep. That's not what he meant. That's not what he said. Yep. Um, so anyway, um, so there's, there's some of that. And then um, there is a concern, and, and I, I get this a little bit. There's a concern 
that I'm trying to change um, Christian morality or that I'm trying to, to dumb down um, you know, a Christian sexual ethic. I mean, I've heard these criticisms that it's not what Andy's saying, it's where he's going. It's not what Andy's saying, it's where all of this is leading. But I'm like, look, I don't mind you criticizing what I'm saying, yeah. but don't, don't claim to be able to read my mind. I would rather you read my book than try to read my mind. Yeah. And as you know, I mean, I've written a book called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. If yeah. you wanna know what I think about Christian morality and Christian sexual ethic, I've published an entire book on it. Yeah. So. Um, some of this is a concern, and then, and here's the other thing, and I get this. Anytime somebody begins to speak in different terms about the Bible, we should all sit up straight and pay attention because, I mean, that's important. And mm -hmm. people have, you know, have gone off the deep end in terms of what they believe about the Bible. So I would just say pay close attention to what I'm saying. Don't listen to what people are saying that they, they think I'm saying or where they think this is going. And um, in the book, I... You know, I've never, I've never changed my view of the inspiration of Scripture or, or the inerrancy of Scripture. Mm -hmm. so, and, and I teach from the Old Testament all the time. That's, That's the other right. bad rap I've gotten. Right. Andy says, you know, when I use the term unhitch, that meant don't preach from the Old Testament, don't believe the Old Testament. And when you read the book, the first several chapters are the story of the nation of Israel throughout yeah. the Old Testament. So again, you know, when, when people read the book, there's sort of an oh mm -hmm. moment. And But there are people who for whatever reason, <laughs> have decided to stir it up. And you know, yeah. that's okay, I kind of like controversy. Yeah. And I, yeah. I yeah. like answering hard questions. Yeah. And I'm very excited about the message of this book, not for the sake of the two of us, because we're in, but for the sake of a generation that has walked away unnecessarily. So that's it. Well, I, I had a millennial leader call me who's in leadership at a large church. It was like 1 a.m., so it was kind of weird. He said, I just, I just read Irresistible. It's all the questions I've been asking for the last 20 years. Oh, wow. Or 10 years that I couldn't get answered. And I was struggling with my faith. And I was struggling with the Old Testament. And I was struggling with my friends that would come in and say, well, what about this? And I had no answers. Mm -hmm. And he said, this book, this book answered. So I, I want to say to anybody watching, if you've ever had that question or that moment of going, I get the New Testament, but the Bible, I'm just going to push it. This is your answer. Let, let's talk about, and as we kind of round third base a little bit, let's talk about the unhitching of the Old Testament. Yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, what happened is I, was, I did a series called 90 where I taught through the whole life of Jesus yeah. from Jordan River to the resurrection. Yeah. Um, it was fun, it was narrative, it was new. And uh, so after Easter, I thought, well, I'd like to keep the conversation going. So I decided to preach through, do three messages on the book of Acts because after the resurrection, that's when the book of Acts picks up. So and the mess, I spent an entire message talking about Acts 15 where the, the Jerusalem Council, where you know, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, all Jews, yeah. are trying to decide, what do we do with the Sinai Covenant? What yeah. do we do with the law? Yeah. Do the Christian, do the Gentile Christians in Antioch have to be circumcised in order to be Christian? So I taught through the passage and I used the term unhitched, that in, <laughs> the, you know, in, the, you know, in Acts 15, the church decided to officially unhitch Christianity from the Jewish law, from circumcision. Now, 
you know, that may not have been the best word, but clearly in Acts 15, they make a decision to say, you do not have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You don't have to follow the law of Moses to be. So anyway, mm -hmm. so that was the term I used. And then I decided to tease my next series, which was called um, The Bible for Grownups. And I teased it by saying, uh, I made this comment about Unhitch. And then I said, I said, we're going to come back to this at a later date. So I kind of stirred it up, teased it for right. our congregation, yep. ended the series. We're going to come back. Well, we came back a few months later for yeah. that series. Well, again, for somebody who drops in on our church service on a particular Sunday and lifts some of these comments out of, out of context, I can understand that. But in the book, I use the word unhitch as well mm -hmm. within that context. And um, so, again, the controversy, uh, you know, if anything, it gave me an opportunity to talk more about the book right. and to talk more about how, um, you know, how compelled I am to reach this generation. But the thing is, every, every Christian I know has unhitched their faith from the Old Covenant. <laughs> we, we go to church on Sunday. Yeah. We don't celebrate Passover. We celebrate yeah. the Lord's Supper. I could go on and on and on and on and on. So, you know, the, the unhitched thing, right. you, know, it, you know, it was all over the place for a while. But anybody who reads this book knows I'm... I believe the Old Testament. In fact, I, there are two sections in here on how to preach through the Old Testament, how to apply the mm. Old Testament. So, anyway, are you I saying, appreciate you asking. No, I have to, and because I'm, again, let me first first say I believe in everything in the book. So, oh, I, I, yeah, 100%. I, that's okay. What I'm doing is I'm going, let's pull the curtain back. Let me tell you what he means. Yeah. Because... You trusted him before, continue to trust him, and you should. Or at least give me a hearing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it's not a whole bunch of people going, this is wrong. I mean, it's just you got your small little section of folks. Are you saying that the Old Testament is irrelevant? Absolutely not. Wow. Uh, how can it be irrelevant? It is the backstory for the main story. It is the but backstory. it is the backstory. It's not the main story. Yeah. Um, and Jesus was clear about that. The gospel writer John was clear about that. At the end of his gospel, he says, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by putting your faith in him, you might have life in his name. And the, these things he's talking about is the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. Um, Paul is clear on this. I mean, the old covenant, God's covenant with Israel, was a temporary covenant to get us to the place where Jesus came to establish a brand new covenant. So it is, it's all connected, it is not irrelevant, and I preach from the Old Testament frequently. So How do you do that? How do you preach through the Old Testament with this new lens um, of the, lack of a better phrase, unhitching mm -hmm. or surrendering to the new? Yeah. Well, How do you do that? Well, because when we understand what the Old, well, and there's two different things. There's the Old Testament, which is really the, Christ, the, names, the name Christians gave to the Jewish Scripture. Jewish people didn't call it the Old Testament. It was called the Law and the Prophets. Mm -hmm. Within the books of the Old Testament is the Law, the Torah, and then the history of the Jews is a reflection of the value system of the Torah. So you have the entire Old Testament, you have the Law, you have the Prophets that, are, again, are teeing off of God's covenant with Israel. So it's all connected. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between what we would call the Old Testament and what we would call the Sinai covenant or God's covenant with the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. So for when, once you kind of tease all that out and get it in its proper context, teaching through the Old Testament or teaching from the Old Testament 
um, is a fabulous teaching tool. It's full of, of heroic stories. It's full of men and women of faith. It's full of stories of men and women who did difficult things, trusting that God was going to come through. And then, of course, there are the prophecies that say one day God is going to fulfill his promise to not the nation of Israel, his promise to Abraham. And, and, wow. and this, this story arc, again, it is so amazing that a man in the middle of nowhere with no family, God promises that through you, every nation on the earth will be blessed. This made no sense. I mean, he didn't have any people. He was a nobody. It's amazing that those words were even captured and that we have them today. Through you, through your line, I'm going to bless the entire world. At a time when there weren't even nations yet, there were just family groups, and family groups and tribes didn't bless each other. They pillaged and stole from and warred against each other. Right. And then here, here goes this story that from a man came a family, came a nation, and from the nation on the banks of the Jordan River walks a, you know, a Galilean from Nazareth, and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that statement was written down, and we have it 2,000 years later, and over half the world's population believes Jesus is divine. Explain that. So, again, it, the, the story of the Old Testament as it relates to the, the, the story, the narrative of the New Testament, it is extraordinary. It is an extraordinary story. The story in and of itself is compelling evidence for the fact that Jesus is who Jesus claimed he was. So, and again, what I just you know, went right. through in 45 seconds, it's part of the book. No, so. And you go through it deeper. It's deeper in the yeah. book. Um, I don't want us to give the whole book away because you need to read it. And we, we just hit like a fourth of it. Last question about this, and then I'll ask you your hope for this book, which you've answered, but yeah. kind of like a, a last statement. Um, so you're saying that there are stories in the Old Testament that we can be inspired by. Are you also saying that we can learn about God through the Old Testament? Absolutely. God is a covenant-making God and a promise-keeping God. Mm. He made a covenant with Abraham. He kept it when everybody thought it was game over. He made a promise to Israel at Mount Sinai, and over and over and over, the nation of Israel gave up on God, gave up on God. God put them in timeout, brought them out, put them in timeout. I mean, it is the again. There's the incidents, or there's the narratives, there's the people, there's the characters. All of that is interesting. That's what we teach children a lot of times. But the entire story arc is fabulous. Yeah, it's fabulous, and again, it culminates. <laughs> I mean, think about this. I mean, all hope is lost. Rome is eternal. The gods of Rome are eternal. Uh, you know, Israel is the nation of Israel, Galilee, Judea is under the heel of the Roman Empire. And when all hope is lost, you know, a, a teenage girl is visited by an angel. Mm. Mm. And it's like God saying, the wait is over. And the world has never been the same since. So, you know, it's just, again, I just want to say to people who've left the church, okay, 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 I know you had a bad church experience. I know you don't believe in a six-day creation. I know what you heard in school. I get all that. But would you step back in to this extraordinary, extraordinary story that in so many ways is undeniable and in so many ways is undeniably true? And... I'm convinced, you've heard me say this, I'm convinced that when people understand the claims of Christianity and when people understand the story of Christianity, they will want it to be true 
before they believe it's true because it is the perfect narrative and it is the perfect invitation and it addresses the needs of every single man and woman who's ever been born. It addresses our greatest need, which is our inability to even live up to our own standards and the fact that we would believe there is a God who has, who has invited us to address Him as Heavenly Father, who has an even higher standard and yet has said, I know you're a sinner, um, your sin needs to be forgiven. I'm going to both point out the problem and offer the solution. It's the perfect narrative, and, and, and it is so inviting. I'm just convinced that when we make it clear, people will want it to be true before they're convinced it's true. Mm. And this is why you are one of the greatest communicators in the country. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know if that's true. I just, you know, you know yeah, thank you. That was, yeah. As we close, um, I would be remiss if I did not. I'm going to ask you about your hope for the book, which you've talked about. But um, what I'd love for you to add in that explanation is the concept of temple thinking. Mm -hmm. Because what you talked about, which I was like, finally a term for, <laughs> yeah. for what I've been. You know, I grew up um, Pentecostal, and I love I love um, my black brothers and sisters and, 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 and my ministry friends and people that I do life with. Um, but, I, but I also had a, a section of, which would be called now millennials, um, of us where we grew up. And we grew up under a certain type of teaching that, um, let's not even say the word was wrong per se, even though some would probably say that. But, um, was depressing. And what I mean by that is, it was depressing because we were taught that there, was these, there were these promises in the Old Testament that were maybe true for us today. And we would try to go after it, right? Mm -hmm. And we would yep. give money. Yep. I remember going into church and go, you know, hearing the pastor say, if you give this tenfold mm -hmm. will be returned, yeah. right? Yeah, and you wondered, why don't you just give each of us a dollar right. so God will give you ten, <laughs> right. and then we'll be able to pay for everything in this church. Yeah. What are you waiting for me to give for, right? Yes. If that's right. how it works, that, he should have been giving money away. 100%. And, but I, so it was a moment where I only, I only had $200 in the bank, maybe 300 mm -hmm. to my name, and I took all 300 out, and I gave it to the church, and I said, I'm going to get this back. God, you... Yeah. And I was just broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the math didn't work. The math didn't work. Because God is the God of all reality, and math is a reality. <laughs> and you bumped up against the reality of God's math. And, and, I, I and, I, and, I, and it caused me to stumble. Yeah. I'm like, what? And let me tell you this. Thousands, thousands of millennial Christians and Christians, period, have the same story. Yeah. And they're depressed even right now, going, how does this God thing even make sense? Yeah. On the phone last night with a guy who's telling me, I don't even know if I believe anymore, and I'm trying to yeah. hold on, but this yeah. doesn't make sense. When you talk about your hope for the book, um, can you include that? Yeah, well, let me, let me address that specifically, yeah. because this is a big part of the book. Do you know why Christians are supposed to give money to people in need? Because they are in need. Period. Right. Because uh, every, uh, every application for a Christian, every application for a Christian, everything a Christian, quote, is supposed to do 
is tied not to what we get in return, but it's a response to what we've already been given. Yeah. We give because God gave to us. I'm kind to you because through, God through Christ has been so kind to me. I'm going to forgive you because I've been forgiven. I'm going to honor you because God honors you and because God honored me. Our, our Christian living is a response to the grace of God. In the moment a pastor or a teacher says, if you will, God will, that is old covenant thinking. Mm. And here's where it came from. Because God said to the nation of Israel, if you obey me, if you keep my commandments, your crops are going to grow, your babies are going to be healthy, I'm going to defend you in battle, I will, you know, the foreigners will not, you won't be invaded from the outside. If you disobey me, you're not going to be blessed. So in the old covenant, or the covenant between God and the nation of Israel, it is an I will if you will. It's there. The moment you dip into that mindset and try to extract it and smuggle it into the new covenant, you have problems, you have confusion, and you have manipulation. Ooh. And the Apostle Paul is so clear. 1 Corinthians 13, everybody's heard that passage. We read it at weddings. I don't think it's a wedding passage. It's too gritty for weddings, <laughs> but I understand why we read it. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he says, you know what? If I give everything I have, this is the verse we miss. If I give everything I have, including my body, to be burned in hopes that I get something back from God and don't have love, I am, I'm nothing. I'm worth nothing. Mm. Because at the end of the day, love is not about what I get. Love is about what I give. And we are to live our lives in gratitude and thus generosity to the people around us because the Christian life is a just as God in Christ has done for you. Just as God in Christ has done for you. So you've heard me when I get up and talk about money. I say, look, if you give God a dollar, he's not going to give you 10. Number one, you live in the United States of America. You got your 10. Hello, right? Um, second, you're, you're giving because you're committed to what God is up to in the world through the local church. And you're giving because we're going to help people in need. That's why we give. Mm. And um, so the whole prosperity gospel, so much of that stuff. It, again, if you're looking for biblical support for that, the Old Testament is full of it. Not because there's anything wrong with the Old Testament. It was a different covenant with a group of people. We don't find God the Father as much as we find God the Founder. He was founding a nation from dirt with a group of slaves who had a slave mindset, and he's trying to convince them that he's not anything like the gods of Egypt. He's nothing like the gods of Canaan. He's nothing like the Babylonian gods or the Sumerian gods. And so that's why the Old Testament is so powerful. It's gritty. It's bloody. It's, you know, people lived on the edge of starvation. A, a, a minor infection could take your life. And yet from that, God raises up a nation through which he brings the Savior of the world, and he's done something for us, and we are to live in response to what has been done for us, not what we can get from him, mm, mm. since you ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's, 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 a that's, part of, the, that's part of what this is about. And it's huge because more, more than anything, we could get stuck on theological debates, and all, more than anything, it doesn't work. Well, it just doesn't work. Because God has already done the work, and we are mm. to live in response to that. Right? I mean, here, here, here's the thing, and I know we got to go. No, no. If anybody in your audience thinks about the Christian that they have the most respect for, the Christian they have the most respect for is probably a grandmother or a grandfather. It's somebody who's had a difficult time and has remained faithful. 
The, the Christians we have the most respect for are not Christians who have learned to leverage something in order to get something from God. Right. It, it, it's the men and women who have given their lives away. I'll end with this. The value of a life. You've heard me say this. Mm -hmm. The value of a life is always measured in terms of how much of it was given away. And where do we get that? Because for God so loved the world that he gave, gave his one and only son. So that is the Christian faith. That's why I don't know why everybody wouldn't want it to be true even before they believe that is true. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for allowing me to talk about it. Um, can you pray for us? I would love to. Please. I would love to. Please. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about important things. Thank you so much for Sam and for his life and his ministry, for what you're doing through he and Tony to the fact that you brought us together as friends and have given us an opportunity to have a conversation like this. And Father, I pray for every parent and every grandparent whose hearts are broken because they raised their kids, they raised their grandkids in church, and then they've walked away. I pray that you would give them the confidence they need to continue those difficult conversations. And Father, I pray that you would use this book to help create better conversations for this generation as we think about reaching the next. Yeah. And we just confess together that the faith of the next generation is worth everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to A Greater Story with Sam Collier and my friend, my mentor, my pastor, Andy Stanley. Go out and get his brand new book. It is incredible. It's life-changing. It's culture-shaping and shifting. Irresistible, reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed into the world. And remember this. When your story connects to God's story, it leads to a greater story. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to A Greater Story with your host, Sam Collier. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. A Greater Story with your host, Sam Collier. Distributed by American Urban Radio Networks.